Hello and welcome to the Cloisterbell podcast presented by Rob and Liam. Today we will be discussing 2014's Flatline from Peter Capaldi's first series. The TARDIS Cloisterbell. Imminent disaster. The cloister bell? Yes. What's that? Well, it's a sort of communications device reserved for wild catastrophes and sudden calls to man the battle stations. That's the cloister bell. Don't worry about that for now. It's not really terribly significant. The cloister bell? Oh, no. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. I'm Liam, and naturally, I am joined by Rob. Hi, Rob. Naturally, I'm here. (laughs) Yes. Excellent. How are you doing? Actually here. Fine. Good, thank you. Uh, another another week. Yes, uh, another week. Uh, any updates since the last podcast? No, just work and uh, a bit more Grey's Anatomy. Uh, I have been watching an uh, an animated anthology on Netflix. You've probably seen it all. It's Love, Death, and Robots. That rings a bell. Uh, enjoying it. Yeah, there's quite a few stories on there. I've only watched uh, a couple. I watched Three Robots, which is about these three robots living in a post-apocalyptic world. Mm-hmm. It was all right. Uh, Ice Age, it was about uh, in a in a freezer in this couple's apartment. Uh, there was a tiny civilization and time was going super fast. Uh, it seemed a bit pointless, but it was all right. <laughs> Uh, okay. Beyond the Aquila Rift, that was a quite a good one. Uh, the animation was really good, and it kind of dealt with horror, love, death, and it was, it was quite good. Bit of a twist at the end. And Zima Blue was a good one. It was it kind of dealt with the philosophy of. Um, Finding a greater purpose. It was good. No, that sounds uh, that sounds really interesting. Um, uh, I finished reading uh, the Dogs of War, the Frederick Forsyth novel. Really enjoyed that. I've just finished reading uh, A Rope and a Prayer, which is a, a book based on a true story uh, where the journalist uh, David Rode uh, he was in Pakistan, uh, two thousand and eight, and he got kidnapped by the Taliban. And it's him telling that story. But what's really good about it is the structure of the book. So he will have one chapter covering a period of his captivity, discussing uh, what was taking place. Then the subsequent chapter will be from his wife. And uh, he, Wow. Yeah, uh, and cool. then fr- telling everything from her perspective and his family and how they were dealing with it. And it's, it's structured like that through through the entire book. Uh, naturally, uh, he survived that, but that was uh, that was a really incredible uh, read. So, I, how long was that for? Um, I think he nine months, uh, eight nine months, something like that. Yeah. And uh, he only managed to uh, well, he had to escape. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, if anyone's interested, it's it's a book I highly recommend. It's called A Rope and a Prayer: The Story of a Kidnapping, and it's by David Rode and his wife. Christian Maluval. Um so so yeah um uh and it's it's thoroughly well written as well they've uh 
you sort of get a, re- a, a sort of like a, a as close as understanding of what it is to live like that without having to go, go through the experience and you get the re- the real sense of frustration that everyone goes through it uh, yeah it was an incredibly captivating read um, very good book that's cool and have you been watching anything nah <laughs> nah no TV <laughs> no no TV I, I don't know what it's sort of it's <laughs> my uh it's just getting worse and worse. It's just sort of like the TV's not... Just, apart from, obviously, watching Doctor Who, um, and maybe the, the odd thing here and there. Oh, oh actually, um, uh, I have re- I watched it when it first came out, but BBC iPlayer, seemed, it's been one of those things which seems to be permanently on iPlayer. There was a five-part documentary that they did on the Thatcher years. Um, so I re-watched that, because... You know, into politics and all the rest of it. So, so that was actually quite good. Um, mm. And there was a documentary that came out, I think, two years ago, which was all about Rupert Murdoch. So I watched the first episode of that. There's two more mm. to go. Um, so actually, I have watched a little bit of television, but but not an awful lot. Um, since the last podcast, uh, just uh, some Doctor Who news. Big Finish uh, entered the Guinness Book of Records. Uh, for the longest running science fiction audio play series. Yeah, that's cool. So that'll be referring to the monthly range, I guess. Uh, yeah, I think so. But um, well, it'd be ev- it'd be everything. I-, I assume it must be everything. So just this constant, this constant output of Doctor Who stuff. Yeah. Um, which is quite uh, quite amazing because I know that they they started with some Bernie Summerfield audio adventures. I think is that nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, it was the the year prior yeah, and to then, um, Sirens of Time. Yeah, which came out in 1999. So, um, so yeah, it's uh, and so it's quite nice that big finish is now because Doctor Who's in the Guinness Book of Records for the longest televised science fiction series, and now big finish right, is yeah. big finish is now entered in alongside them. So that's quite good. Yeah, I remember a long time ago when the revival came back of Doctor Who <laughs> and Stargate SG-1 um, made the Guinness World Records for the longest running sci-fi series which was uh, in excess of 10 seasons I think mm-hmm. um, and then I, I, I don't know if I'm wrong but I seem to remember Russell D. Davis saying something about no that's wrong and then it was amended the following year yes I remember Doctor that yeah, got, yeah. Its, got its place yeah mm-hmm. So on, on to Doc, back, back to Doctor Who. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so just before it, um, just our social media information. So we're on Twitter at Podcast Bell. We're on Instagram at Cloyster underscore Bell. Our website is Cloyster Bell Podcast, all is one word, dot com. And if you enjoy the podcast and would like to support us, uh, no matter how large, <laughs> sorry, no matter how small, uh, you can support us on Patreon. Um, if you're able to do that, we will be internally grateful. Uh, the link is on our website, and also you can find us on on the Patreon uh, website itself. Yes, and um, we will have early access and more available soon, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, uh, so uh, season eight uh, hadn't revisited it in a, a long time. Mm-hmm. So and so, what what was the reasons behind picking this one? <laughs> Good question. Um, well. 
we were going through this thing of sort of what after we done our classic um, after we looked into the classic series and picked our favourite stories from each of the respective Doctors and we thought well we wanted to go into the new series but have a bit of a break from that that format um, and so it was sort of this loose decision of well let's pick stories from each of the each of the new Doctors which we think stories which maybe have something interesting to say maybe a little bit underrated um, and we haven't really lo- looked at an awful lot of Peter Capaldi stuff, and I thought, well, it's you know, it's about time we address that. The, the timing was right. And then when I was picking, uh, when I was wanting to pick an episode, um, I mean, I, I like Peter Capaldi's final uh, series, but I, I personally think that his best is his first in terms of the, the quality of the stories. I think. I mean, let me know what you think about this because I actually think that Peter Capaldi's first series is the last one where we where since the show was came back in 2005 there was oh you know there'll be some stories which may f- fall a bit flat in our appreciation but overall uh the quality was quite sustained you know from from uh, Christopher Eccleston's first series all the way to David Tennant Matt Smith's era mm. um so the, the the quality was consistent and I think that's continued up to including Peter Capaldi's first series and then after that for me I think the quality dips a bit. Would you agree or not? Yeah, I think it does miss the mark on a fair few stories mm-hmm. um, later on. Do you think he'd kind of nailed it on his first series? I think so. I mean, the Peter Capaldi's. I mean, he's very much his own person. I'm not. I'm not suggesting that uh, it's it's very much his own interpretation, his own performance of the role. But if you were to make a comparison to any of the previous Doctors, I would say, well, maybe William Hartnell's Doctor and Colin Baker's, uh, perhaps more with Colin Baker, but certainly with those those two Doctors, um, you know, where we're first introduced to them, they're quite. Um, they're quite crabby and grumpy and, and, and all mm. the rest of it. And then Peter Capaldi's introduced in that way and there's that question and one of those, you know, am I a good person and um, and all the rest of it. And then he, you know, as he progresses as this Doctor, he sort of warms. So the character progresses, but in terms of him just entering into the role and giving a, a strong performance from the beginning, yeah, I think he hits the ground running. Yeah, but it is a development over mm. time. Yeah, he does change and warm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, but the reason why I wanted to pick Flatline because when I was looking at the stories um, because at some point I, I would quite like us to you know, go well we've done the classic series Let's now let's go through the, the new series and pick our favourite episodes from each of the Doctors so um, I nearly picked another one for Peter Capaldi but I went well if we are to do that then no because there's, um, the, there's a Peter Capaldi episode obviously which I regard as my favourite um, but Flatline, I think, is a good episode, and it, it, it stuck with me. Um, before we further the conversation, um, just a, a plot synopsis. So, basically, a problem happens when the outside dimensions of the TARDIS shrink, trapping the Doctor inside and leaving Clara to fend for herself against two-dimensional monsters intent on killing. So, with a cast and crew, Peter Capaldi, naturally he plays the Doctor, Jenna Coleman plays Clara, uh, Yovian Wade plays... Riggsy, who would later appear in Face the Raven. Samuel Anderson plays Danny Pink. Um, I'd completely forgotten about, actually, his character until watching this episode, but I remember him from that time he appeared in the Nescafe adverts asking, how do you like your coffee? Um, so, 
Uh, so I know him from Doctor Who and Nescafe advert. Uh, John Cummins plays Roscoe. Jessica Hales plays PC Forrest. The wonderful Christopher Fairbank plays Fenton. And my goodness, he's had a long and impressive career. Just some of the stuff he's been in includes Sapphire and Steel, Bergerac, 1989's Batman, Alien 3... Uh, he's appeared in an episode of Love Joy and Inspector Morse. He was in The Fifth Element, Ashes to Ashes and Wolf Hall, just to name a couple of a uh, few things that he's been in. Matt Bardock yeah. plays Al. Raj Bajal plays George. James Quinn plays Bill. And Michelle Gomez appears at the end of the episode as Missy. It was really weird um, because the, the this series' um, story arc was this mysterious character called Missy. Um and it was a bit weird, sort of, because obviously we know who Missy is, and we've had all. You know, she's the master, and she plays a big part in the rest of Peter Capaldi's um, era. And then to to come back to all that when it's a bit of mystery was a bit weird. Um, the music because was like, she, of course, she'd first appeared in Deep Breath, all the way at the beginning. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, she'd been like this constant presence um, throughout the whole of the series at that point. Yeah, and uh, I know. I've, I kind of do this a lot, but back in Deep Breath, when we finally saw, um, kind of Missy at the end in, in Heaven or or whatever, where she's in the in the garden with the fountain, mm-hmm. and uh, I I tried to call, call it early, and I thought, what if Missy is the master, and Heaven is the Matrix, and I was bang on. Yes, <laughs> you were. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it was. Um, I wasn't too sure what the the whole heaven thing was, but yeah, I think there was this hint of uh, Missy. It's a you know mistress, shuffle master. There was that possibility there. We were still quite sure, but I think it was a pretty safe bet to um, yeah. to call it. But when it was finally revealed, it was still a great payoff. But uh, yeah, uh, and then anyway, just a quick summing uh, su- summing up of the cast and crew. So the music is by Murray Gold. The episode was directed by Douglas McKinnon. He also directed the Sontaran Stratagem, The Poison Sky, The Power of Three, Cold Wallace and Time Heist and the Husbands of River Song. The episode was written by James Matheson, who also wrote Mummy on the Orient Express, uh, Mummy on the Orient Express, The Girl Who Died in Oxygen, and everything else was headed by Stephen Moffat. Um... So the the episode begins uh, before the the title uh, before the title sequence, and there's a man on the phone talking to somebody, and he's very apprehensive. And there's some obviously some weird things have been going on. I say obviously from from the way he's going on, he's very apprehensive, and he seems to have come up with whatever the problem was. He seems to know what the issue is, and then he he promptly vanishes, and then we realise that he is trapped in the wall uh, and it's this great shot where we pan across into the wall and there's this strip of wallpaper or it looks like a strip of wallpaper um, with this um, stretched out image and then the camera pans to a particular angle looking up at it uh, and then you actually see that it's the man on the phone and you know he's screaming he's you know he was screaming in pain and it, it reminded it reminded me of that that famous painting by Hans Holbein the ambassadors where it's this amazing painting, but at the bottom of the the painting, there's this distorted image of a skull. And if you stand to the, I think it's the right hand side of the painting, and look at it, you the perspective then alters, and then you can see the the image of the skull uh, in the right proportion. 
So it just kind of reminded me of that, just to, you know, raise this podcast to highbrow level. Um, before we go on, uh, when uh, I, I said that, you know, we were picking this episode uh, flatline to dis- uh, discuss at the end of our previous podcast, um, you didn't really, it, w- it wasn't one that rang an awful lot of bells with you, is that right? You didn't really remember it. That's right, I didn't have a clue what it was. <laughs> making, making it up. Um, so when you were when you were watching it uh, again now, d- did it start to like bring back memories or was it just completely no. watching it afresh? Uh, from the pre-title scene, it didn't ring any bells, but once I got into the rest of it, it all started flooding back. Ah, right, okay. Um, do you think... I mean, looking looking at Peter Capaldi's first season as a whole... I mean, you could actually Peter Capaldi's whole era, if you like. Um, do you think this is an episode that most people would find... I mean, we're not, we're, talking about, we're not talking about the quality of the episode yet, but do you think this is an episode that most people would tend to forget? Uh, from my perspective, yes. Mm. It had a very good villain, but the villain didn't have... Uh, much of a character to it so maybe it wasn't memorable in that respect but it was a very good idea oh yeah yeah very good idea and just so just out of curiosity when you think of the peter capaldi era what are the stories that immediately come to mind uh i definitely bookend it with deep breath and uh the death and heaven stuff mm-hmm. um listen was actually a memorable one yeah i'm trying to name uh, another single episode in this series Hold on, I'll get there. Uh, wow, I can't. <laughs> so okay, just just those two, right? It's fine. No, no, I'm just, I'm just curious. I'm not trying to put you on the spot or anything. Um, so the, so actually, one of the things that really did surprise because even though I remembered this episode, uh, obviously because I picked it, um, there were things that I had forgotten about it. So one of them was the fact that time heist. That's one, isn't it? <laughs> oh, bloody hell, Robbie. <laughs> Time heist. Yes, I remember that. That's a good episode. <laughs> um, Sorry, go on. No, no, it's fine. Uh, what was I saying? I wasn't listening. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> I was listening, but I forgot. Sorry. <laughs> it's fine. Um, oh yes, things I've forgotten. <laughs> Funnily enough, um, so one of the things that I've forgotten about was the fact that uh, Missy pops up at the end of this episode. We don't know who. Who's she's supposed to be at this point? But mm-hmm. she seems to have some connection with Clara, which was which was interesting. But the one thing that I completely forgotten about was Danny Pink. Yeah, uh, which is Clara's boyfriend. And uh, to be perfectly honest, it's um, it, it's one element of the series which I wasn't particularly keen on. I don't think he was a particularly great character, and. I mean, he doesn't do an awful job. I don't think the character... I don't think the actor has a huge amount of charisma, if I'm totally honest. He was good in the Nescafe advert. But anyway. um, So, there was this whole thing where uh, Danny Pink doesn't like Clara hanging around with the Doctor. Clara has lied to the Doctor, saying Danny Mm. is now suddenly very happy with it. But the Doctor, during the course of this episode, uh, realises that that is a lie. Um, so rather than add in an interesting dynamic to Clara's relationship, the only thing Danny really does is make Clara a worse off person. <laughs> She's a bit of a liar. <laughs> yeah. Um, or, or, or does it service service the story better? I don't know. 
we'll get onto that because the episode ends on an interesting note between the, the uh, Clara and the Doctor. We'll get onto that. So, um, the, the uh, so Clara is wanting to has arranged to meet up with um, with Danny during a lunch break, um, but rather than arriving where they're supposed to be, which I think is supposed to be London, I'm not entirely sure, but they end up arriving in Bristol. Um, And they realise very, as soon as the TARDIS has landed, something is draining the the energy of the TARDIS, which is affecting its outside dimensions. So the TARDIS, uh, the police box outside appearance, has actually shrunk. Um, The Doctor is baffled by this and sort of concerned but excited because he's dealing with something that he doesn't quite understand. Um, Clara then goes off to investigate and quickly realises that uh, an awful lot of people have been disappearing. Um, makes contact with a, a chap called Riggsy. But at this point, the TARDIS has shrunk so completely, uh, the Doctor cannot exit the TARDIS. In fact, it's it's so small, Clara is able to um, pick it up and stick it in her bag. And so at this point, uh, the Doctor is inside the TARDIS, seeing everything through the eyes and ears of Clara and Clara's the one who's doing the investigation so for the purposes of this story um, Clara becomes the Doctor and um, it's all tremendous fun and um, this, um, you know, the, the episode has an awful lot of fun with that sort of dynamic and it's all very funny she then goes back up to, uh, to Rigsy and they start investigating the disappearances. And you've got that whole scene of Rigsy's like, well, who are you? And then she's basically taking the mick out of the Doctor saying, I'm the Doctor. It's like, Doctor of what? And she goes, I'm a bit vague about that. I think it's um, just to make me sound important and all the rest of it. And the Doctor's talking to the TARDIS going, you're the Doctor of Lies and all the rest of it. What, what did you think of this um, sort of this change of pace? Uh, I think it's always good to... Um have the companion do that mm-hmm. but the show's always about them anyway so putting putting them in the doctor's shoes um i don't think it needs to be done um so prominently but it's fun to play with on occasion yeah yeah i mean i, I would definitely agree with that i would say on occasion you wouldn't want this i mean because the show's doctor who it's it's fine to do it once in a while you know have the doc, have the companion be much more proactive and it can be interesting and it adds a different yeah. dynamic but are you saying that you feel that maybe it was a bit overplayed in this episode i think so yeah it does kind of proceed when she does the same to um not be killed by the cybermen in dark water mm-hmm. in fact in in that story her name comes first in the titles and her eyes are on screen rather than Capaldi's. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's the one I'm thinking of. Um, but maybe in that episode it wasn't played up as much as it was here. Yeah, and I think that was supposed to be a bit of a sleight of hand. I think uh, it's been a while since I've watched that episode, but I think maybe there was this sort of this, this playing of the idea that maybe Clara is the Doctor. Um, but of course, that, that's the whole... Really, at this point, that becomes really the, the big uh, the big reason why Missy um, wanted Clara to become friends with the Doctor because they're that familiar that they're actually quite um, damaging to one another and put each other at risk as a result of that. Um, mm. But um, but I actually actually quite liked it here and um, especially with the episode's structure, but. Um, 
but with Clara investigating and then uh, you know she's she's given the sonic screwdriver and she's given the psychic paper and she has her own companion with Rigsy who I think is a great character and I think is played incredibly well and I know that he later appears in the episode uh, Face the Raven but he's one of those great characters and this re- I think this really comes down to, to the actor mainly although the character's written well I would have really liked him to have become a regular um, mm. imagine if it was the Doctor Clara and Rigsy. I think Rigsy would have been a very good, because he's so you know he he's different. I think it would have been a very nice compliment, um, to, to the TARDIS crew. Yeah, I think I would have appreciated that because I was never a big fan of Clara. Mm-hmm. Um, we had her one appearance in the first half of series seven, and then we had to wait another year before we only got half a series. For the remainder half of Series 7. And it felt like she'd been around for a while. But we hadn't had many stories with her. Um, and then the reasons for her character was kind of resolved. But she kind of stayed. Um, for the anniversary and beyond. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I got a bit tired of the character. I agree. And again. Because uh, when when I say, say this. I do, I'm criticising the character. I'm not criticising um, the actress Jenna Coleman plays the part very, very well, and she, you know she's great. But yeah, I agree. Uh, the problem that I had uh, initially with the character was I felt that she was introduced more as a plot device. She she wasn't a person. She didn't have a character. She was just this mystery. And um, I think th- and maybe the mystery was played up a bit too much. A bit a bit too much. And then f- so I didn't start uh, clicking with the character until Name of the Doctor. Now. Um, the, the whole thing about whether she becomes too important to the Doctor is a, is a conversation for another time. But finally, she, she had a purpose in the series, and that mystery was finally dealt with, and then she was actually able to be a proper person. So from that point on, I thought, right, um, she, she's now a fully-fleshed character, and then we, we, can, we can move on. And so I appreciated that. But then, yeah, I th- there was something about the dynamic between those two characters... Um, I think Do you was think she was too comfortable as a companion and, dare I say, a bit too pretentious? Yeah, I think I think there was an element of that. I mean, it got to the point where I thought Clara's fine, but in small doses. Yeah, um, yeah it, which is a which is a you know a shame. Um, but you know, because yeah. the 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 companion should be like a conduit for the viewer. Uh, uh, I think so. Mm-hmm someone we can relate to, someone who is experiencing this uh, firsthand and not overly confident. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I would On say occasion. so. Or you, you could actually have, you know, where their confidence gains with the Doctor I mean, or, and, and their knowledge. I mean, Joe Grant's a very good example of that. I mean, she comes in, you know, in the series and Terror of the Autons and sort of blunders around a bit. But then by the time she's in the second series with episodes, you know, with stories like Curse of Peladon, the Doctor's perfectly happy to go, you know, you deal with these political negotiations because uh, I completely trust you and you're not going to balls them up. And I'm just going to go off and do some investigation over here. Um, mm. So you can, you can you can do it that way or you can have a character who, who, who is completely confident, but um, but nonetheless still builds with the Doctor. But yeah, it. Uh, I think you describing the character as being pretentious. I think is pretty much on the ball. I think that's a very good summing up. Thanks. <laughs> Not at all. Um, Hit the nail on the head. Yeah. So, d- do you think 
so when you said you know because now that with with an episode like flatline because the, the emphasis is on clara in this episode um d- does that does that irritate you does that bother you or what were you No it doesn't because it doesn't happen all the time mm. it was a fun dynamic to watch um the doctor isn't able to physically help um it, it's good it works Oh no no that's, that's great I'm pleased about that and I was just curious because I yeah I would say that it works here and I think one of the reasons why it works is because as you say it's it's not always that the emphasis isn't uh, as placed here isn't isn't always always there but also they they have some fun with it and there is some humor to to be had um I quite like seeing you know, the, the doctor uh, with with Clara sort of being the doctor in this episode, and 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 the doctor not really liking it, and there's some fun to be had. Um, and then so, so and as I say, I really like the character of, of Rigsy, and um, you know this down to earth, really nice, uh, intelligent character. I mean, the doctor's very disparaging about this character, but. Um, Later, you know, j- just through through talking uh, about the problems that they're facing, Riggsy sort of hits on the point, and then the Doctor goes, "Oh, actually, this guy might be on the ball." So, th- you know, the, the Doctor's being actually quite uh, sort of prejudiced, and then realizing, "Oh, actually, that this guy isn't stupid and, and whatever." So, so that's. Oh, is that the moment where he consider- considers that the people haven't really left the room? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which which is a great moment, uh, which has has a payoff later on so they go and investigate another place and there's a there's a police officer there clara flashes the psychic paper and pretends that they're from mi5 um and then start investigating and then she goes into the other room because she has to deal with the, uh, the, the sorry the the police officer has to go in the other room and deal with a phone call talking to one of her superiors and then we re- then we realize that oh yeah there are these monsters around and uh it's actually, I love the way that this scene is done in terms of, I love the set design. Um, I love how this is shot. I love the atmosphere of it. And she's dragged into the rug of, of the carpet by these, we don't know what they are. We're just aware that these these sort of like slithery type monsters and drag her into the floor. And she seems to flatten into 2D as she does it. And, you know, and she's screaming in absolute agony. Mm. I mean, it's horrific. But Yeah, because she, she's really dissected. Yes, uh, and I quite liked the the design because um, you have the cardiovascular and nervous system printed on the wall. Um, the way that it's done, you can... I mean, when I first watched on Flatline, I picked up on it straight away, but I really like the the aesthetic of it because it's not in your face. Um, it's very subtle and it's, it's symmetrical, looks like artwork. Yes, or, yeah, yeah, it does, and I think... Or rather... You, your brain can make of it what you will, mm-hmm. and I think, yeah. and I'm just talking in general. I'm not, I don't mean this in a disparaging way, but there would have been uh, audiences who wouldn't have picked up on it straight away. And uh, you know, imagine that payoff when you know when it's finally revealed of what that is, um, mm. which is when the doctor. And it, it's horrific. It's like it's like two D gore. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. So we now realise that we're dealing with these creatures which deal in um, two dimensions, and the doctor says, well. Actually, what they're trying to do is they're trying to understand us. And then he mm. realises that because there was this strange pattern on the wall in the previous house that Riggsy and Clara were in, uh, which sort of like looks like desert and stuff, but actually, no, it's not. It's a piece of skin that's been stretched out. Yeah. I mean, ugh. Um, you know, that's <laughs> a horrible idea. And now yeah. that they're, you know, they're dissecting us even further. Yeah. It's a common concept in 
theoretical physics, uh, we use it as an analogy for our perception of higher dimensions. Mm-hmm. Um, because if there is higher, high dimensions, um, like spatial dimensions that we can't perceive or can't comprehend, um, quite often the analogy of uh, a two-dimensional universe or a kind of a flat being, ha- we kind of think about them and how they would not be able to comprehend three dimensions. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because with yeah, uh, and it's a, it's probably the closest that we would possibly get to perceiving what it'd be like to think of a fourth, fifth, sixth, whatever dimension. Um, but it's it's interesting that in order for us to understand it, because we're three dimensions, we have to go back to two dimensions and sort of build up to our anyway. It is yeah. it is it is very interesting, um, and it's it's a great idea to set this um, this episode's threat around, and it does that again. It does that wonderful thing that Doctor Who does, which is get something that we will tend to see in everyday life and take a horrific spin on it. So um, there's what the seemingly graffiti of what look like people. Uh, and it's very well done. It's very well designed. It looks like graffiti. But of course, the, mm. the big payoff is actually, no, what these are is the the very people that disappeared, that was hinted at the, the beginning of the episode. That's them. They're trapped in the walls. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, then what happens is that the, the, these 2D monsters um, uh, have kept them. And then they take, they've kept the actual bodies and then they use them as a means to try and become three-dimensional. And then the chase is on. So you've got Clara uh, and Riggsy and his crew um, all on the run trying to trying to escape these things. Um, and again, there's this, there's this wonderful moment where they're in a warehouse um, They've tapped into the tannoy system and the Doctor is trying to find a means of communicating to these monsters. And uh, they communicate back and they're just saying numbers. And you go, well, what's that about? And then, and again, it's Riggsy who, who clocks it, which is great. You know, he's really on the board. He goes, well, actually, if you look at the uniforms that we're wearing, we all have numbers. Uh, and then I think they say the number 22 and then we realise that George is number 22 and that actually these monsters are because there's this what I quite like is that the, the doctor's trying to be hopeful and saying that um, these are things that are trying to reach out um, and maybe they don't realise that the harm that they're doing but you know they're trying to reach out and understand us Fen- again Fenton on the other hand who is the, uh, Chris, played by Christopher Fairbank uh, very good actor but he, he does tend to play these very sort of negative pessimistic characters and he does he does he does it very well uh he's got you know he's basically going the doctor doesn't know what he's talking about give me a break these things aren't good news and you know and of course he is right um but i think i think the doctor knows that himself he's just trying to be hopeful mm-hmm. uh but george comes a cropper um so so he's he becomes flattened but then uh and then so th- the rest of them are now in the in the underground, yeah, uh, it's a really good scene that when they when they realise uh, 
he's now flat. Mm-hmm. It's like the trick's already done before you notice, and Clara moves off to the side, and he's and he's flat. Yeah, yeah, and that when we think he's alive. Yeah, and that playing with that sense of perspective, it's it's you know very simple, uh, but play uh, but but done very well, and it, yeah, it is very yeah. very good. It's a bit like. Um, Silence in the library. There's a moment where we think a character is alive, but they're not. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole ghosting thing, yeah. as they, they utter the last lines that, they, that they've said. That's another yeah. good episode. I, I want to watch that now. Um, yeah. uh, and then during the, the the whole process of this is that um, the the monsters, in order to uh, try and become three D, they end up leaching more of the TARDIS's energy, so that places uh, the TARDIS in, in greater jeopardy and then it goes into siege mode um, where nothing can come in or out. So the yes, doctor... And we have some kind of like Hellraiser cube. <laughs> yeah, so the TARDIS is transferred into this sort of Hellraiser cube. The Doctor's trapped inside. Um, there's no pinhead or anything in the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, uh and we're we're quickly introduced to this new character because there's a there's a th- it was funny when I was watching this episode I was uh, for some for some reason I was thinking I wonder if this if this would have worked in the classic series it would have been funny possibly <laughs> having all these um, not so elaborate drawn people on the walls <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean maybe in the Sylvester McCoy, Sylvester McCoy era that they could have maybe maybe pulled it off but I think certainly in terms of the st- so I was just thinking of I don't know it was it was just something that I was I was running past me and I was thinking well how would you structure it into three or four episodes and where would the cliffhanger be and mm. um, I think the cliffhanger would be because then they're in the underground and obviously you've got to do the whole thing of there's a train coming yeah. uh, and the, the TARDIS is on the on the on the lines and all the rest of it which I thought was very good and of course there's something very funny you know um the Doctor has to become the thing. Basically, has to become thing from the Adams family. So the Adams family gets a, gets a nice reference. So the Doctor is able to stick his hand outside the TARDIS doors, and and make the TARDIS crawl. And that's before it goes into siege mode. Where it turns into yeah. the Hellraiser cube. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. Doesn't happen usually. <laughs> <laughs> um, so at this point, it's. I mean, we end up getting the one unusual death in this episode i mean what i mean by that is that all the deaths up until this point have been quite consistent um but then there's there's a giant hand yes a 3d hand a giant 3d <laughs> hand pick comes down the uh, the corridor picks up one of the guys and drags him away um which is a great moment i mean it, it takes you completely by surprise but um it's it's, it's very much a one-off yeah <laughs> i think if it hadn't been for the doctor's line yeah, seeing the nether in three D. Wait, that may not have worked as well. <laughs> it's a lie that uh, get away with it. I mean, it's a great moment. It's realised superbly well. Um, uh, and one of the things that I like about this this part of the episode again, it's it's the atmosphere. But because they're in a, a, a railway tunnel, you can play with the shadows moving around. Um, because up until that point, all the characters are in the foreground and our focus is on them. But you do have this sort of this the shape of a hand and a shadow creeping down in the background. You go, what on earth is that? And then it, and it comes into the 3D and then grab. So there is an awful lot of atmosphere uh, taking place at this point. And I, I do like it an awful lot. And it's, it's executed very well. Um, and we realise that these monsters have 
obviously some some ability of of projecting power into things by by turning 3d into 2d and vice versa um which the doctor then uh, sorry clara then uh, realizes well this is one thing the doctor does gets the enemies a weak uh, strength and uses it as a weakness against them um uh, and Riggsy is a, is, a, is a graffiti artist and his skill finally comes into the into the force so what she does is she gets him to make a poster which looks like a door but um but that's you know that's a, a fake setup it's uh, yeah. making the 2d creatures think that they're hiding it was a good solution though a very good solution so it's this idea that yeah. uh, these monsters think that everyone's cowering behind uh this door when we really what she's done is she's put the the siege cube tardis um next to a uh, uh, electric uh box yeah, can't think of the proper term for some reason, but you know what I mean. Um, so, th- so these monsters are trying to get through what they think is the door, but really what they're doing is they're projecting the energy into the into into the wall, into the uh, into the energy cables, into the TARDIS, and that gives the the TARDIS all the energy it needs to to get back to its proper yeah. proportions and everything. I think moments like this are when Doctor Who's at its best when you kind of defeat all odds by using a bit of intelligence. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, that that's one of the great things about uh, about the series is that you know, the, uh, the main characters use their intelligence. Um, it's it's one of the criticisms that that new Doctor Who has had, and I think it's I think it is fairly leveled at it, particularly with the Jodie Whittaker era more than any other, which is that you know things are easily resolved by just by waving the sonic screwdriver around. I mean, Jonathan Turner comes in for for criticism with the way he produced and maybe his lack of understanding stories. It's another conversation for another time, but uh, he understood that the Sonic Screwdriver was too easy a tool to get out of jeopardy, and so actually, if you want to heighten the drama, you get rid of it, and that's what he did. And I've always thought, you know, Jonathan Turner was very good at doing that, and it's very interesting that he did that because really, in classic Doctor Who, the Sonic Screwdriver was there, but it wasn't this this all powerful, all purpose tool, which the new series has. And and here finally, thankfully, we have an episode where uh Clara is able to use her ingenuity and then get out, you know, and to resolve the problem. Um mm. But one of the great things about the way that this story is structured, um so we've had Clara being the main character up until this point, and then finally the doctor emerges as, you know, uh, uh, to, um it's sort of like a, it's a real yay moment that you know the doctor's out and about and he's able to finally vanquish these monsters as as the final sort of flourish and i think it's quite um if it was if it was written in a lesser way it could be it could have been seen as a as a very easy and then with one mighty bound the doctor comes up and then everyone's free but actually it, it feels like a real um a real punch in the air moment and uh i yeah. think it's written very well and but that's a good great. point, though. It's almost like she's done all the legwork, and he comes in and takes the victory. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what's interesting is that uh, again, I think if this were done in another period uh, of Doctor Who, I think it would have been written. You know, the, the Doctor's, you know, Clara's, as you said, done all the legwork, and then the Doctor appears at the very end. And then when it comes to everyone going back to their proper places, everyone goes, you know, thank you, Doctor, you did a marvellous job and all the rest of it. But that, but thankfully, that's not what happens here. They all thank Clara. And the Doctor barely gets a glance. No, he, he, <laughs> no, he doesn't. Which makes sense mm-hmm. because to them, you know, who is he? Yes. Some ra- he is some random figure that turned up at the last moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just an acquaintance of Clara. 
Mm-hmm. So that was uh, so, so. So I like that, and uh, and then you know, unfortunately, you know, people have died, but at least people have survived. But there is there is that thing with Chris, uh, Christopher Fairbanks' character, Fenton, because he survived and he's you know still a he's got a funny outlook here. Yeah, yeah grumpy sod. <laughs> so it's just like well, um, so that you know that's he, he doesn't say like he'll not lose any sleep because because of who died or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which again is is quite refreshing. Uh, for for Doctor Who to to have a character like that because usually usually those type of characters at some point are the ones who snuff it, uh, but no he he's the he's the character who survives and they even comment on that but um, that that's mm. quite refreshing to to see so I quite like that, um, and then we get this point where we you know we're starting to close the episode off, and the Doctor's quite dismissive of Clara, um, you know Clara's going you know what you're talking about I was a very good Doctor. And then uh, the doctor says a good line. He says, "You were exceptional. Good has nothing to do with it." Uh, what, what What did you think of this? Um, that was like a compliment. Well, it was it was sort of backhand because he was saying, "Right, you were very exceptional about what you what you did, and you did a very good job." But in terms of you know, basically, he's he's calling Clara out for the reasons that she did it, and he's saying that uh, she didn't do it for. For good reasons. Okay, how do you mean? Well, that's the thing. I'm I'm good. uh, That's sort of the point where I'm not entirely sure where the doctor's coming from. So, that scene, uh, Clara's wanting to to get some recognition and praise from the doctor, and she's saying, "Look, look, I was good." And the doc, and then the doctor says, "You were exceptional. Good had nothing to do with it." Uh, and then he sort of like very scowly goes back into the TARDIS. Clara doesn't know how to deal with that, and she's like, "What? What, what the hell's just happened?" Um, and then, of course, we then cut to Missy, who's been watching all this, and she's like, "Oh, my Clara, my Clara." Um, so, is that a bit of an implication that Missy's behind something or other? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and of course, it, it's paid off later on in the series where it actually what that all what that's all about is. Missy was the one who who got Clara and the Doctor together in the first place. Hmm. But it was—I just thought it was interesting that the the Doctor was going, "Look, you did, you did a good job, but you you didn't come, you didn't have the right intentions." Um, hmm. and I mean, it's an interesting moment. Um, but it's sort of—I'm not entirely sure where the Doctor's coming from. I mean, yes, maybe he's he's calling out because Clara lied about the whole the whole relationship between her and Danny Pink. Uh, yes, you know, so, so 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 that's a factor. So she was there just for the thrills of it because she wanted to be there rather than with Danny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I think. Yeah, I think I just had to think. I just think. I, I think I had to think it through. But now that I have, just by talking it, yeah, that makes sense. I think that's that's probably what was, was yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then the episode ends, and we have a, a sneak preview of of the forest episode. Oh yeah. <laughs> um. So I think that's a a good summing up of of the story, and loosely I thought. Is there anything that you you want to say that I maybe have glossed over or? Um, no, not in particular with this episode. Um, when the Doctor did uh, 
arrive in the tunnel. Uh, did did the TARDIS put up some kind of shield? Yeah, yeah, it did. So it gets all big and it lands in a very big way. I love that shot. I thought that the special effects there and how the TARDIS looked and, and all the rest of it was great. Yeah. And it seems to, yeah, it seems to project this uh, this green force field, which is stopping the two D monsters from progressing any further. Oh yes, that was the whole point, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. To protect the dimensions and also he names them the boneless yeah because uh-huh. <laughs> that, that was another bit of a running gag with the story because uh, it was like what they call them it's like, oh, i'm not keen on that i've got to come up with a name so again you know when he when he comes out and to save the day you know not only is he saving the day but finally he's like and i've come up with a better name i call you the boneless so that you know that was quite nice yeah never to return again no i think yeah and, and what were their motives he um he tried to appeal to their intelligence. He he gave them the benefit of the doubt. You know, maybe they're just trying to communicate and better understand us. Mm-hmm. But then he comes to the conclusion that what does it matter? They're a threat, regardless. Mm-hmm. That makes them the enemy. Yeah, but I think I think that at this point there was enough information to to, to deduce the fact that they know what they're doing and they're deliberately causing harm. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that they they taunt George that he's going to be the next one to die. I think it's finally, you know, is is the, the is the real moment when it's finally revealed. Yeah, they know exactly what they're doing. Up until that point, you could have potentially given them the benefit of the doubt, but from that point on, it, it's clear that they mean harm. I mean, especially when you know they make the three they make the three D hand that we saw. Yes, drags some poor chap to his death. <laughs> um, usually, it's at this point we have listeners' responses. <clears throat> But once again, there isn't any. Yeah, but the, yeah, once again, I picked an episode, and no one seems to be particularly interested. Fantastic. Um, but as I said, um, <laughs> what is it, people? I think listeners know what they're doing, and they're just uh, they're just taking the mic now. Um, but we, we honestly, we, we do love uh, hearing your your thoughts and opinions. So as I said earlier on, um, you can usually uh, podcast. Uh, sorry, um, usually Twitter's the very good, uh, the best place to get in contact with us at Podcast Bell. But you also can get in contact with us on Instagram at Cloister underscore Bell. Uh, we do love hearing what your thoughts, whether you agree with us or not. It's it's all good. Yeah, uh, I did start a poll at the start of this podcast on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, thoughts on Doctor Who series eight? Um, good or bad? And of the four votes, it's fifty-fifty. Ah, <laughs> oh, right. Okay. So two people not. Two people say it's bad. And all right. Okay. Um, I, I did want to say thoughts on Flatline, but I was worried no one would remember it. <laughs> I think that's probably. I think the clue was when I when I said it, and you were like, "Nope, don't, doesn't ring any bells with me." I think that's probably the reason I, I picked what I think most people. It, it's an episode that just flies over people's heads. Yeah. It, it's not remembered. We need to pick more popular stories, Lee. <laughs> you know what I've realised? Um, our podcast gets the most hits on Dalek stories. Yeah, which you know, which which makes sense. I think really, I need to stop picking up. Obsc- I mean, uh, when we were doing, I thought it was, <laughs> I thought it was funny when we were doing our favourite um, classic Doctor Who stories, and you know, you picked the Aztecs, which is a you know a cracker. And you know, and we were being honest with the stories that we picked. We weren't just going to pick anything just for the for the sake of it. But of course, you know, uh, I you know my favorite William Hartnell story is the Crusade, uh, which is a story where half the episodes are missing. We can't watch them. We've already got episodes one and three, uh, it, and the majority of the audience 
pro- well, probably wasn't alive back then anyway. <laughs> so. And that was the first podcast where we didn't have any listener responses at all. <laughs> uh, and of course, I'm not blaming the listeners at all. It's just, it, it's quite clear. I, <laughs> I pick odd, obscure stories. And I think maybe it's, uh, I need to address that. At <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, well, you know, p- uh, picking some popular ones uh, wouldn't. Uh, would be quite nice but anyway so um just a, a conclusion in score um summing up in your score uh rob uh to sum it up uh the villain was brilliant they even tapped into the the aspect of dimensions from the tardis played with that and it was really fun uh some pretty scary moments with the villain um like the moment in the warehouse and the moment with the the nervous system on the wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bit in between with them being chased by it was effective and good. Uh, good characters, even the bad ones, uh, good character um, portrayals that were wrote, that were wrote well. Um, interesting dynamic with Clara and the Doctor. Um, yeah, it, apart from the fact that it mustn't have been that memorable <laughs> initially um, it works quite well I'd give it a 7 out of 10 oh okay that's good yeah I would um, I think it's a, I think it was a very good idea I, I like the writing the characters the acting I think everything uh, was there to, to make this a good episode I love the production design and, and everything right across the board uh, slightly higher score for me uh, because uh, despite everyone else forgetting about it I remembered it Hence why I picked it. Uh, I've given it an 8 out of 10. Fantastic. Um, okay, everyone. So that's our thoughts on Flatline. Even though we discussed it, if, if you have any thoughts on Flatline, still get in contact with us. Please get in contact with us. Um, not our immediate next podcast. Uh, Rob will reveal what that is. Um, but as you know, we have Doctor Who, the Blu-ray collection box sets, which are being released of uh, classic Doctor Who. And... The the ones that have been released so far are going to be re-released, but in standard uh, box sets. Um, and I, I think it's on the 31st of May, season 12 and season 19. Uh, the first seasons of Tom Baker and Peter Davison, respectively, are going to be released. Um, so because of that, uh, Rob and I have decided that we will be going through the season 12 episodes next. So we... Uh, We've got one more podcast to do before then, but we will be discussing Robot, The Ark in Space, Genesis of the Daleks, I Forgotten the Sontaran Experiment, uh, and Revenge of the Cybermen. So that's going to be um, that's going to be coming up around the corner. But before yeah. then, Rob, oh, uh, I've picked another Capaldi one. I hope it's not your favourite that you were holding off on. Okay, but I've picked Listen. Ah, well, okay. Uh, no, it isn't. Uh, so, so thankfully, Not a uh, you know, that's okay. good. Um, but no, it's uh, one I very much remember. I think it's going to be interesting talking about that one because I think it's it's an interesting episode, um, and probably a little bit controversial. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which, in terms of Doctor Who, I mean, not in terms of our, uh, uh, whether we like it or not, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, good choice, Rob. I'm looking forward to uh, discussing that. Yeah, looking forward to watching it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So yes, uh, listen and mm-hmm. the season twelve reviews. 
we previously did review the Santarin experiment maybe a year and a half ago on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we did discuss, should we revisit it again or not? And yes, we will. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we will. Yeah, yeah. We thought, um... Um, but we have more of it. Uh, we've got in, more into the swing of doing these reviews now. So doing it in the current structure mm-hmm. uh, might be better. And also, if we are re- exploring the whole of season 12, it would be a bit weird to just miss out story yeah i think so and then just go right uh, we're skipping the story but if you want to hear our thoughts and it refer back to a previous podcast but yeah it's like what you said rob i think now we're in a process where we we quite like the structure of the podcast uh when we reviewed the suntoran experiment it's still there for, uh, for you to listen um uh, if you're interested but i think we're a lot more comfortable with the way that we're doing it now so hopefully our review of it would will will be better constructed of anything yeah um, so that's everything for now until until our next podcast. Uh, farewell, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.